Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Welcome, RVR friends and RVR camper parents. We're so glad that you are tuning in right now. We see the number jumping up here. Some folks are hopping on and watching uh, this parenting workshop. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm really looking forward to tonight. This is our second uh, parenting workshop that we've done, and we hope this is an encouragement to you. We, we sit around at RVR at work, and we ask this question, how can we support families and parents? And we do that through camp, and we do that through retreats and family events. But we thought, you know, in this time when uh, folks aren't getting out quite as much, we could bring a, a workshop like this to you and your family and hopefully encourage you as, as you parent uh, in this world that we are in right now. Sometimes a pretty challenging task. And I don't know about you, but I will take all the help I can get. So that's what tonight is about. The, the title of tonight's workshop is Parenting in a Device-Driven World. I can think of no better topic to talk about. I mean, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I'm sure you've heard this sentence. I know I have. When can I get a phone? When when can can I can I borrow the iPad? There's more arguments in my house over devices, I think, than anything else. We're on a device right now. A device in front of you is helping you uh, tune in to this workshop. So indeed, our our world is uh, is swamped with devices right now, and they can be powerful tools for for good. I mean, information, so much information right at our fingertips and can be so good, but it also uh, can be idolized and can shape our behavior and our worldview. Wow, that's serious. We think so. We think it's pretty serious. That's why we're doing this workshop tonight. And I hope you'll stay with us for the, uh, for the full hour. We're gonna break it up into different segments. So you're not just listening the whole time, but you're also interacting through questions. And we hope that you will um, jump on the Q&A and ask questions. We really want to, to answer those. And, that, and that's such a rich time, I know, in our, our last workshop when parents asked questions. Here's how you would do that. There is a question mark on your screen. It may even say Q&A for some of you, or a little conversation bubble with a question mark in it. You would click on that and then you can type your question in and we'll get it here at RVR. We won't publish it on a screen if you don't want to. If you just put, keep this private and then type your question, we'll read your question out and then we'll be able to, our speaker will be able to answer that. Um, if you don't put private, then we'll publish it and everyone watching tonight will be able to see your question and hear the answer that our speaker gives as well. So that's how that works. You can test it at any time you want just by saying hello. We would love to get a hello from you and your name so we know who's viewing tonight. And again, all that's private. It just stays uh, here on the RVR computer, but it's not published live for, for viewers. But say hello. 
let's let's uh, without further ado, let's jump right in and inter- introduce our speaker tonight. I can think of uh, no one else that I would want to partner with uh, on a topic like this. Michael Harsh is a family pastor uh, and has been um, pastoring at at, at um, churches for the last 23, 24 years. I hope I got that right. He's in Sarasota, Florida as a family pastor now, and he's also been a speaker at RVR for many, many years. He's a dear friend of mine and of others here at RVR, <clears throat> and uh, I just look so forward to tonight to get insight and wisdom and perspective about parenting in a device-driven world. Michael Harsh, we really appreciate you. Take it away, brother. Hey, Dan, thanks so much. What a joy and what a uh, fun time and great subject to uh, to engage in with you families, parents, or students, whoever's online with us tonight. Listen, even while we're talking, if you got a friend or two that you're thinking, man, it would be good for them to hear this, shoot them a text, tell them to jump on, tell them to check the RVR website and join us tonight, because I think that the content that we're going to talk about um, is certainly a value to each and every one of us as individuals, maybe as parents, as leaders, uh, as those who are engaging and investing in and uh, mentoring, discipling others in our lives. The Bible, uh, first of all, thank you for, for, for that, Dan. Down here in sunny Florida today, it was a little cold. It was really, it got really cold today, all the way down to like 64. Oh, it was brutal. So uh, for those of you up there in Baltimore, Maryland area or, or uh, near RVR, uh, please pray for us down here. Hope that we can make it through it. But uh, yeah, back to our back to our subject tonight. Excited about what both the Word of God says and just some hopefully some helpful, maybe engaging insight for you. Here's what the Word of God says in First Corinthians six twelve. It says, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but here's the catch: but I will not be enslaved." by any of them. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit, but I want to give you a few introductory thoughts to this uh, to this subject of uh, parenting in a device-driven world. So think about this, parents and friends out there, okay? On January 9th, 2007, the founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, introduced the first ever iPhone. Friends, if you have been alive since the year 2007, you have never known a world that didn't have smart devices in it. He said, now listen, this is back in 2007 when this was an absolutely novel concept. He said, this device that we're going to sell will have no keyboard, no stylus, but you would navigate it using something that God gave nearly every human being, your fingers. This would hold, he said, the capacity of a desktop computer in processing and technology, but would be able to fit in your pocket. He said you could touch your music. Nobody ever heard of a concept like that before, but of course, Apple Music and iPods and things followed that, and it became a resource, of course, of endless information and entertainment. From talking to texting to browsing the internet, listening to music, taking pictures, checking the weather, GPS, uh, you name it. This device would be unlike anything the world has ever known. And June 29th of that same year, 2007, the first iPhone was introduced for sale to the world. Now, with the release of the iPhone 12, we have seen this device just be mastered and refined to even greater capabilities and limits. Get this, in 2018, this was the last time Apple ever um, gave their data and info for how many iPhones they sold. Since then, they've stopped telling us. But in 2018, they had sold over 2.2 billion, that's with a B, billion 
iPhones worldwide. Not to mention their competitors like Galaxy and other smartphones that uh, are out there. In 2019, the data says that there are over 2.7 billion people on the planet walking around with a smartphone. That's over one in three humans alive are walking around with a smartphone. And, and think about this, okay? Here's some startling facts if, if, if you wanna consider this. Research shows that the average person checks their phone every year. Okay, what's your guess? Do you have a guess? Every year, the average person checks their phone about 81,500 times. That's every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives. The average Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, TikTok user spends more than 50, 50, 50 minutes a day on these devices, and that number is climbing constantly. Here's the thing, technology just in general, as we use it and as we engage in this digital world and experience, it tends us to feed, it tends to feed us this incredibly anxious thought. The thought is this, if we don't embrace the newest gadget or the latest app, we will grow obsolete. We will become unimportant or disinteresting. And for some people, that is an incredible fear for them that they, they are oftentimes mastered by. And so I love what 1 Corinthians 6 says that everything is lawful for us. It's, we're, we're allowed to do it, but not everything is for our good. Some things even become enslaving to us. And I, I really believe that you and I should be actively examining the impact of digital of our digital experience that it has on our spiritual well-being and our personal well-being. I mean, we just can't afford to not do that. So here's 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 a counsel that I would give you just as we start this conversation this evening. You must build convictions in your own life in this area. Not just safeguards and filters. Safeguards and filters have their place. They are a means of help in the world and sphere of, of what it, it means to have a digital experience, which all of us will likely and most almost certainly have for the rest of our lives and generations to come. Not just safeguards and filters should we be building into our lives. We need to build convictions into, into our lives. We need to build healthy thinking about digital media into our lives um, <clears throat> and our children's lives so that they will use it well for their personal flourishing, for their well-being. And you know what I believe? They can. Don't, in your mind, think to yourself, oh, it's a fearful, unknown world out there, so I just want to get rid of it all. I just want to do away with it. It doesn't have to be that way. I believe, by God's grace and with his help, we can redeem these wonderful tools and resources for incredible good. Now, here's a couple of thoughts, okay? <clears throat> what and where we spend our time out on the digital world, the internet, and, and wherever you are engaging others through digital devices, it's important. And it's important that we have some type of gauge. And so if you're a parent, I just want to start by saying this, okay? Safety, safety nets and, and filters are really helpful. So here's a couple. Like, for instance, our family is an Apple family, okay? So we have Apple phones. We have many of Apple computers. And so my, my wife, Summer, she we use screen time, which is Apple's uh, ongoing resource so that you can be aware who is on what apps, who is on what internet sites, what are they doing, how long. In fact, there's even, if you weren't aware, there's even actually limitations and parameters that you can place 
on those uses is so at certain times in the day or certain times at night, you can say that's enough and you can put a pause to what would be healthy and appropriate for your for your family and for your children. There's other things, a really well-known and a really highly rated um, filter for, for internet usage is Custodio, Q-U-S-T-O-D-I-O. You might have heard of that. Net Nanny is a is a well-known. Norton, these are all helpful tools. And here's the thing, I commend them to you, but they are not comprehend comprehensive in the strategy to help the hearts of your children. Here's why, okay? Because just like every facet of our parenting and leadership in our children's lives, there comes a natural and intended expiration date. You understand what I mean? There comes a time when I am not going to be watching over the shoulder of my children, looking to see what they're doing, what they're watching, how long, how much, in what places. I won't do that for the rest of their lives. So I can't just utilize the resource of filters and safeguards and think that that will be the strategy that will build a right heart and a right heart and right head thinking in my children. I want to do more than that. These have a natural expiration date. You know what I mean by that, parents? We're not always going to be around. We're not always going to be immediately present in the lives of our kids. And they are going to need resources beyond just these filters and safeguards. And so I think about the scripture, 1 Corinthians 6. It says, all things are lawful for me, which is to say there's a broad category in our lives of morally and biblically positive, neutral activities and behaviors that are acceptable for us to pursue. I would say as a category, digital media and the internet and the world of digital our digital lives is a potentially valuable and redeemable resource. It's lawful, it's okay, it's not innately immoral or wrong or sinful. But then the scripture says not all things are helpful, which is to say they're not profitable. Meaning, not every morally neutral behavior is the best use of my time. Just because it's okay doesn't mean I should spend all my time doing it. And then um, uh, scripture says, all things are lawful, they're, they're morally okay, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And so many categories of our lives, certainly our digital experience has to have this uh, parameter on it. I don't want to be enslaved to it. And so here's the big idea, the big thought about this time tonight as we introduce it. And then I want to give you three main ideas broken up in between, as Dan said, with the question time. And so I'll give this first thought and then we'll take a little bit of time to, um, to have some questions and discussion. And then we'll look into thought number two, followed by thought number three, each one. Uh, we'll pause to have some discussion. So we would welcome your content, your, your interaction. So shoot those questions to us even now. You can start uh, sharing some thoughts, some ideas, some things you're interested in uh, hearing more about, and I'll try to be specific during those, uh, in between those thoughts. So the big idea of our uh, time tonight is our digital experience can be used for our good and for God's glory. I am wholly convinced of that. I, I, uh, I do not want to give the idea that these things should just be released from our lives or, or gotten rid of in our lives out of fear or out of concern about something bad that may happen. Our digital experience can be purposefully used for our good and for God's glory. But here's the thought, though. If you or I fall prey to the enslavement to digital media, 
This could master so many areas of our lives. And one of the greatest dangers of this enslavement is that it happens slowly and subtly, so you don't even see or feel it taking place. And so here's the first major thought that I just want to invest in our thinking and ask you, would you consider this? Would you consider this thought about our digital experience, not just yours and mine, but also those whom we lead, our children, maybe those who we mentor, disciple, or uh, lead in their lives? So here's three thoughts about the impact of digital media in our lives, starting with this. Number one, enslavement, that which masters us or traps us. Enslavement to digital media tempts us to focus our thoughts on self-promotion. Enslavement to digital media tempts us to focus our thoughts on self-promotion. Let me say that in a very simple and modern way. We like being liked. Why are our phones so incredibly attractive and enslaving to us? The answer is because we like ourselves so much. We like ourselves so much. I know that sounds like a hard pill to swallow, but here, here Here's the thought. Actually, I want to just give you an analogy, okay? A little, little um, Greek mythology history story, okay? There was, a, uh, there was a character in Greek mythology named Narcissus. You recognize that word, right? We, we use the modern word narcissistic or, or, or actually a person to be a narcissist. And this is where we got it from. So Narcissus was a hunter in Greek mythology. He was known for his incredible good looks, he was proud and he had a strange disdain for those who loved him. For so for people that admired him and loved him, he actually held at bay and really kind of disdained them. Another Greek god named Nemesis, well-named, right? Observed this, so he attracted Narcissus to a pool. And there in that pool, he caused Narcissus to look over into the water and see his own reflection in the water. Narcissus was so transfixed by his own beauty that he was unable to leave the pool. He literally stared at his reflection until he died. This Greek character, of course, is where we get our term narcissist, which describes a person who is infatuated with themselves and their physical appearance. And I think in many cases, technology is creating, here's what I want to call them, ignorant narcissists. Ignorant narcissists. We're growing more infatuated with ourselves, and oftentimes we don't even realize the prison of the reflection of ourselves that we are placing ourselves in. Technology provides us an opportunity to promote publicly what we love most about ourselves privately. And so we become enslaved to our phones because we so desperately crave the approval of others. More more, more of what people think of me. And if it's positive, it feeds my value, my thought of my value and my worth, oftentimes of myself. If we can get other people to affirm us or like us, we find it easier actually to like ourselves in return. There's a book that I've read and I find tremendously helpful. I want to commend to you tonight. In fact, I think we might have a, uh, an image of it, but it's called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You by author Tony Rinke. 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. And one little uh, small paragraph of a quote that I want to share with you that he said in here, he said this, he said, the buzz of social approval has conditioned us to feed on regular microbursts of validation given by every like, favorite, retweet, or link. This new psychological conditioning means that our lives become more dependent on the moment-by-moment -moment approval of others than we need the antidote of new affirmation from our friends to keep convincing ourselves that our lives are meaningful. Oh, 
what a what a helpful thought to capture our struggle with our digital experience in our lives today. <clears throat> we grow so enamored with uh, with ourselves and with the idea of others expressing their affirmation and liking of us. And we find that there is a digital world out there that 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 can be the very platform where which we celebrate our own selves. We grow so enamored with ourselves and 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 so therefore we grow so enamored with those actually who have what we believe we want. We uh we 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 find people like a music artist online that have so many people who adore them. We we see a supermodel who has all these followers, 1.2 million followers and think, oh, if I could just have that many people paying attention to me. We envy friends' lifestyles because of all the likes and tags and shares on their life story and it seems so special to us. We want to be like an athlete because everyone gushes about them nonstop online. I want to be like this celebrity because they seem to have an incredible lifestyle, easy money, lots of friends. They do what they want and they're so well loved. And here's the newsflash, okay? You and I know this in our hearts, and I'm just going to say it, and I believe you will affirm this thought when you hear it. The perception that people present in their online profile often does not match the reality of their inward struggles of life and heart whatsoever. You, can I summarize this even more to say this? You may be coveting a complete facade of a life. You may be wanting and longing for something that is not actually real or true. It's just a perception someone desperately wants to convey to you and to others. There was an American historian named David Borstein. 60 years ago, he warned us about this reality. Let me tell you a quote that he said. He said, the graphic revolution, this is 60 years ago, which exploded the ability to mass produce and edit images of people in film and print. This would be the means whereby which our heroes would be replaced by celebrities. Did you hear that? Our heroes would be replaced by celebrities. Well, what's what does it mean for a hero to be replaced by a celebrity? Okay, here's the thought. Hero is a person of character who is known for their acts of valor, they're celebrated in their life for their selflessness and sacrifice on behalf of others long after their death and oftentimes with no desire for personal bane, uh, fame, benefit, or any accolades. Time and sacrifice, not image and money, makes up a hero. But a celebrity is someone who achieves fame through personal skill or clever use of the spotlight. That's why we have our little statement of they got there. 15 minutes of fame, right? They found the spotlight and they figured out how to maximize that 15 minutes of fame. And here's the idea. The premier desire of a celebrity is attention. How can I grow my brand? But the desire of a hero is the well-being of others. And this is why this is why my greatest life hero is Jesus Christ, the son of God and the, the, the main subject of the Bible that I read and love. Because Jesus said this, he said, greater love has no one than this, than that someone would lay down their lives for their friends, meaning their whole existence would be for the sacrifice of the good of others. That's what he said in John chapter 15, verse 13. And that's exactly what Jesus's life was about. It was to live the exact way that God called us to live and to die as a sacrifice for the sins of those who did not obey, which is each and every one of us. And when Jesus lived 
perfectly and died in our place and then rose again, as we're just about to celebrate in a few weeks here at Easter. He showed that he is the ultimate hero of our hearts and our souls. Jesus is well known like a celebrity, but he's not a celebrity. He is a hero. He's the hero of our hearts and souls. And so many times, we find this digital experience to be a place where we're searching for people who have the attention, praise, accolades, and seemingly lifestyle or life experience that we desperately want. And because of that, we emulate and copy their habits, and it's replaced what would be genuinely heroic and honorable and lives that we could and should be repeating. Why does our flesh desire celebrity so much more than heroism? We cr- Here's why. <clears throat> we crave immediate approval. We like being liked. So we pursue means of self-promotion. And lost in this oftentimes is that there are those who demonstrate the value of of their lives and how we can model and live after them in such a beautiful way, in an excellent way, in a heroic way, starting with the Lord Jesus Christ and those who follow him. And so this is just a first major thought. It's the longest thought because I wanted to give some introduction. But the first major thought for this evening is that enslavement to digital media tempts us to focus our thoughts on self-promotion. So what are your thoughts? What are, your, what are your thoughts about that? Share with us a statement. Share with us a, a question. Share with us some, some feelings, some ideas that you're thinking about, or maybe some, some ways this is churning in your mind. Um, how does digital media cause us to focus our thoughts on self-promotion? Share us some thoughts. Give us a question if you'd like. Feel free to uh, kick that around. And Dan, let me turn it back to you to help us uh, engage some of this interaction. Man, thank you so much, Michael. Already um, the first segment of this workshop, so so rich and some uh, practical or perspective on on this. This is so important. I know the title of this is parenting, but boy, I'm sitting here thinking I need this. I need this. You know, it's it's hard to be consistent. It's hard for me to tell my kids, "Hey, you're wasting too much time on on your device," when a lot of that is uh, you know I'm I'm uh, giving them that example. So uh, I, I appreciate that first point, and often that is the case, man. We just focus thoughts on ourselves. We do have a couple questions coming in. If you're just joining us tonight, I know we've seen the number fluctuate, so we know some families are jumping on kind of midway through this. But we want to thank you for uh, for joining us, and we want to invite you to uh, click on the question mark, the Q and A section, and ask uh, questions tonight and, and comment. As well, we do have some questions, Michael. I'm going to uh, throw a couple at you here, and then we'll continue to move on. Uh, someone writes here: What What are some practical ways we, as a family, can redeem how we have used our devices in the past? And they use that same example I just used: time wasting, comparison, materialism, and learn to use them from good for good. Excuse me. How can we flip that uh, script there? How we typically use these devices and see them begin to be used for good in our family and as we shepherd our children's hearts. Yeah, good, good and helpful question. I think that Dan, I think that every single one of us feel that. Meaning, we look back in the past and we see maybe some habits or time periods where we say that was not used well. It was not redeemed as it could or should be. The value of what it means to uh, to use this resource 
was not done well. And so one thing I think, and this is just a, a principle that I believe as a parent is, um, hear me on this parents, it is not wrong for you to sit down with your children and say to them, please forgive me, to lay out with clarity um, an area where you felt is a weakness in your previous parenting, an area where maybe even you would go so far as to say this was a failure. And I know that many parents look at this area as a, as feeling like it's a, at least a weakness and perhaps a failure in their lives. It's not wrong to sit down with your children and say, look, I see the habits of my past in my life, in my usage of digital media and the digital world. And I see my allowances and provisions for you in your life. And I don't think I've promoted a healthy um, um pattern for your life and for mine. And for that, I want to say, please forgive me, but I'm ready to change that. And here's how I want to do that. And so I think a starting point is to say, it's not wrong to come to your children and offer and ask for their forgiveness. And so I think that really practically start there. And then secondly, I think this, go through and spend some time in conversation and asking, how do you use Ask your kids, how do you use your digital world? What do you like the most? What do you enjoy the most? Ask lots of questions. Be an investigator. Investigate not just the content. Investigate not just the habits, but investigate the heart. What is it about TikTok that you like so much? Well, I don't know. Mom, it's fun. It's funny. Those videos are cool. I like trying to model the dances. I mean, those things are neat. I like to do them. They're short. It doesn't take very long. I can scroll forever. You know, I'm just trying to get more people to like me. Well, they have their reasons. They have their thoughts. Many times they haven't really thought through what and how these things actually are making them feel or what they're causing them to experience. So be a good question asker. And then I think um, with that, as you're asking some of those very same questions to your children, Pause and tell them where you've seen weaknesses in your own life in these areas. Now, again, I don't think it's helpful or wise to say, well, let me just convey all the gory details of all my worst and darkest failures. I think that's reserved for your spouse, uh, for the Lord in prayer. And I think those are safe places to bring that up. But categorically, in a broad sense, perhaps you tell your children, you know, I feel like for a time I was playing this certain gaming, or I was um, engaged in this certain media, and I found myself being so enraptured in it that it started to I, give me an identity. It started to really make me feel a certain way. If my friends looked a certain way on their posts and their experiences, and it looked superior to my life, I found myself getting depressed, discouraged, or whatever that might mean. So things like that are helpful when you give honest feedback of your own weaknesses, and it lets your children take a look into their own heart. So um, don't be afraid to confess and say, I'm sorry for the past. I need to change. Don't be afraid to, um, to ask lots of questions and try to engage the heart, engage what they desire, what's in there. And then don't be afraid to, to express, here's where I struggled in the past. And I think that then maybe what you can do is take one resource of digital experience. Maybe it's a, 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 a social media platform. Maybe it's a Facebook, maybe it's Instagram, or maybe it's just going for it, parent, and doing a TikTok video with your kid and do it with them. But then once you do it with them, when you live in their world for a little bit, and have a little bit of fun, turn around then and ask them to live in yours. And then 
do something that you see is specifically valuable and healthy. Maybe you decide, hey, let's do this. Once a week, let's make a family post that has a scripture verse with it, that has a positive and encouraging message that has nothing to do with us personally, that doesn't promote me and us, but promotes God and him. It praises and glorifies someone who is worth more than we are ourselves. So those are just a few thoughts to start with, but Dan, what else? That's great, man. I think you answered that question and probably Anya's question as well. I'm going to publish her uh, questionnaire. I thought it was uh, really good. But this came in from a, a listener, Anya. My son's sole aspiration is to become famous on TikTok. Uh, hey, mine too, Anya. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't have a TikTok. But I can understand that. And I, and I know others who have that aspiration as well. She asked, how do I nurture him toward godly goals and away from self-promotion? Now, Mike, you may have just, um, you know, answered that for her in, in that past question, but didn't know if you'd have anything to add specifically to her question. And if not, we'll go to the next question. Well, yeah, may, maybe there was some content in that last answer that, that might have responded to that. But Anya, first of all, what an honest and thoughtful question. And secondly, Anya, that is not a question that you're experiencing exclusively. There are a lot of parents whose kids are out there thinking that is going to be the category and direction of my life. So I think what you can help them do is if they're climbing a ladder in pursuit of that kind of goal, you have to help them ask the right questions of what is at the end of that pursuit? If you reach the status and you reach the amount, the number, the TikTok fame that you desire, what then? What do you get for it? Because the trouble is, is in our hearts, if this is an idol for your son, if this is something that he is chasing for his own personal worth, I am certain of this. I believe the Bible teaches this, and I believe it proves out in our human experience, like the Bible teaches, is that what we chase to idolize and put in an ultimate place in our lives, when it, when we get there, when we actually arrive at what we think that is, if it's not for God's glory and honor, it always disappoints us. It is always less than what we thought it would be. The, the reward of that ultimate great thing is always less than we thought it would be. So I think you have to have honest conversations to start helping your son think about asking those right questions. What are you chasing? Once you get it, what will you do with it? Whose good will be increased because of your personal fame? Just your good or someone else's good? And so help him think about, does he want to live his life for his own personal fame and glory? Does he want to be a celebrity or does he want to be a hero? Does he want to have a life of self-sacrifice for the good of others? Or does he want to have a life where others praise and honor him? And I think that that's where God's word, pursuing God's word as a regular basis of insight and information will help him orient his thinking in a way that really guards his heart and soul. And I hope that's some helpful thoughts to you from that really insightful question. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Well, nice. Thank you for answering that. Thank you, Anya, for the question. And keep the questions coming, guys. We're going to have one more question here for this segment, and we'll move on to the, to the, uh, the second uh, segment with Michael. This is probably the question I get asked the most as working 
with uh, lots of campers and parents. What is an appropriate age for a child to get a cell phone or a social media account? You know, my daughter came to me the other day, Michael, and said, I need a phone. I'm going to start driving soon. So what if I, you know, on the side of the road, I run out of gas, I need a phone. And I couldn't help but think, I didn't have a phone when I started driving. <laughs> but that is a, a great point she makes as well. But then there's there's uh, kids who are eight years old and younger getting phones. Is that too young? You get the gist of the question. What say you, Michael? Yeah, good and right kind of thinking, parents. So good for you for, for having that primary thought. So I'll kind of answer that in two, but I think two quick manners, okay? One is this, the practical side. Uh, you said it right, Dan. Th there comes a time for us when we were thinking about for our own children, there comes a time when we were starting to see that their, their life circumstances created an, a, an amount of separation from us that, um, that we wanted to have a means and a resource to be able to connect and communicate. You know, I don't know how many of you have a home phone anymore that sits around on a on a desk or something, but we don't have that. We haven't had that for probably, I don't know, five, seven years more. Um, and so the only way we communicate back and forth is if each individual family member has something like that. And so for each of our children, the practical side of that answer for us was, when is the stage of their life when they start to have a distance from us from circumstances, after school practices, um, they get a job, daughters start babysitting, any any kind of categories where their practical life experience, friendships cause them to be over at a friend's house for longer than, you know, for further away than just around the corner in our neighborhood or something like that. So that was a practical side of it. But I would say this, this is, this is my own counsel and advice to you parents. I don't believe that we're talking about a specific age here. I really think you have to look at and consider what are the areas of maturity that my child is going to have to navigate as they think about and utilize this device? How is it going to affect them? What influences will it have? And so that becomes the time frame of when I believe it's helpful and valuable. And so it really isn't about a certain age, a certain like maturity marker. You turn 16, you got your license. I think it's more about who is your child? How is their heart? What is what is it like through each stage of their lives? And I think for some kids, it could be older than others. It really depends on what they're prepared for. Um, so I would pause there. I have a few more thoughts, but I'll pause there because I, I have a feeling we might get back to that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. And uh, again, keep the questions coming. If you just joined us, the Q&A uh, question mark there, you can ask questions. We're going to move into the second segment now with Michael. Uh, that'll be um, ended with more Q&A, and then we'll have a third segment and end our time tonight with one last Q&A. So keep the questions coming and the comments. Bring it on, Michael. I hope you're ready. We are. Take it away. Ready. Well, great. Well, thanks for those questions. And uh, if you were here for our first segment, kind of the introduction and first of three main points, we said this, that enslavement to digital media tempts us to focus our thoughts on self-promotion. This is such a struggle for many of our hearts. Um, and so this was this was the first idea. But here's the here's the second one that we want to consider just for a few minutes. This will be a little shorter than our last segment. And then we'll ask some more questions. So keep them coming, as Dan said. Enslavement to digital media tempts us to become relationally 
disassociated, to become relationally disassociated. Here are some synonyms for that. Isolated, disconnected, withdrawn, separated. Now, parents, do you or have you seen in your children markers of these words or synonyms? Relationally disassociated, isolated, disconnected, withdrawn. I, I wanted to make a couple of insights to think about what the what the experience of digital media actually causes in us. So think with me about this, okay? When we become relationally disassociated, isolated, and separated, we begin to believe, I think that digital media tempts us to begin to believe that it is acceptable to ignore the people that we are presently with to connect with people that we are not with. You get that? We can ignore the people we're with in order to connect the people that we are not with, the, with the people that we are not around. Think about how often someone has had to call you back into a real life conversation from your own line scrolling. Has ever happened to you? Listen, I'm going to be honest. That has happened to me with my wife, where she says, "Honey, are you listening to me?" And it it jolts me and go, "Oh, turn this off. Get rid get rid of this right now. Okay, turn that thing off. I need to be present." in the relationship, in the room with my wife. It's like it's like we literally divide ourselves um, to two different existences. We exist in two places at once, and we're just not meant and designed to be that way. There is a phenomenon that researchers call, kind of a second thought with this relational disassociation, separation. There's a phenomenon that researchers call anonymous anger. Anonymous anger. This suggests that we are much more likely to vent our frustrations digitally than we would in person. So we're more likely to say things online that we would never say in person. We'd be much more free to vent to an avatar than we ever would to a real live person. So what happens is in a digital experience, we actually begin to eliminate the personhood of the one we're communicating with or the ones we're communicating with because we think to ourselves and we deceive ourselves into thinking that because I'm not present and there with them or can't see them intimately or, or immediately in person and touch them and know that they're in my presence, that somehow they don't exist. And so I'll say things that I would never said before. I'll go to limits that I would have never thought myself able before. And in this idea of anonymous anger, sometimes I vent things that I would never feel appropriate or wise to say. Now think about this, consider this temptation because the numbers don't lie. Digital, we're talking about relational isolation, separation from others. When it comes to a digital topic or idea that you might post, what do you think is the number one um, contributor for a post or a, an information that is really interesting to other people? What do you think draws attention? What do you think brings in the interest and likes and um, interaction with your post? Do you know what the answer is? controversy. You say something controversial, you say something risque, you say something that maybe isn't appropriate or socially um, uh, fitting, and man, people come flocking. If you say something uh, that has controversy associated to it, the more controversial you are, the more attracted people become to see what all the hot mess is about. I mean, that's just how it works. And this does nothing to grow or to increase and to protect healthy relationships in our lives. This 
brings about a temptation for further relational separation. And here's here's a subject, and I, I really believe that there's some controversy to this. So you're just going to have to, could I ask you, just consider what these thoughts are. If you don't agree with them, I understand and I appreciate that. But let me just propose a thought to you. Shyness, okay? Probably never thought I'd say that. It doesn't seem very controversial. But here, here's what I want to say about that. We often culturally and interrelationally, we give a pass to someone who is shy. We say, oh, shyness is their personality. They don't really connect and interact with a lot of people. They don't really know what to say. They don't, they, they get quiet around other people. But here's the thing, in our digital lives and experience, online enslavement for a person can often be their escape from making the effort, the real life effort toward meaningful and healthy in-person relationships. I am of the conviction that shyness like many other immaturities and sinful weaknesses in areas of our life, they need to be confronted and they need to be, to be trained in someone. It does not have to be a controlling influence in someone's life. And I believe this, that left unconfronted, shyness can dominate a person's character and behavior. Healthy relationships are a highly valuable and also challenging, highly valuable part of our lives, but they're very challenging to cultivate, right? It's not that easy to develop healthy relationships. And when someone is shy, they're already predisposed to avoid that. And so in-person relationships become very difficult for these people. So someone who is shy, they find themselves very willing and very ready to retreat to a digital avatar experience where their engagement is not in front of those who they actually see, feel, touch, and interact with day to day. But someone, this, this, an impersonal avatar that exists in a world perhaps far, far from them. And there, I believe, there is a relational fulfillment that is only satisfied when we pursue the intentional in-person experience of fellowship with others that we cannot substitute in any other way. So the second thought that I wanted to challenge you with is our digital experience tempts us to become relationally disassociated. And these are just a few of the outgrowths of this, of this troubling trend of our hearts. Have you ever thought about this? Do you have any thoughts about this? Maybe any feedback, insights, questions? Um, again, I, I realize this point was a lot quicker and a lot shorter uh, than the first one, which was kind of long, but um, just another uh, thought to engage with. Enslavement to digital media tempts us to become relationally disassociated. What are your thoughts? Dan, help us out. All right, Michael, thanks for that second point. And um, if you're listening, uh, if you have a question, you can type that in the Q&A segment. We do have a question that just came in. Uh, it says, I feel like I've already given too much free reign to my kids with devices. How do I go back now that they have, um, Sorry, that they are used to having so much freedom. Okay, I think we get the gist of the question. Yeah, Lots good. Freedom. Lots of freedom given. Can we rein it back in? Is it too late? Yeah. So this is a parenting philosophy and conviction of mine. And I would say the answer is resoundingly, yes, you can. Okay. It is not uncommon for us to um, to communicate to our own kids. I have three children. One is a 20-year-old daughter. Now, this is a daughter in college. One is an 18-year-old son graduating who's already doing some college coursework. And one is a 15-year-old daughter who's a freshman in high school. And we remind them oftentimes that everything you have is a generous gift from God and stewarded by us as parents. The room that you sleep in, 
we gave you that room. The phone that you have, we helped you purchase that phone. Or at the very least, we give you the freedom to possess that device in our home and among our family. Everything that our children have, they need to see as a, as a, as a device or a resource that they are stewarding from God. And so I think that, yes, if you've given too much freedom, I would say this to some degree returns back to an earlier discussion of a question that we were talking about is it may be a time where you sit down and say, you know what? I just want to say, I'm sorry. I feel like one area of desire in my heart for you as my child to to give you good things and to give you freedom has become, instead of a freedom, it's become an actual means of bondage. And I don't want it to be bondage for you. And I really think that the long-term goal of our parenting is to release our children into freedom into all areas of their life with the understanding, with the conviction, and with the wisdom to act with those freedoms and choices in a way that is healthy and for their flourishing. At the same time, as they are under your care and you are stewarding and caring for their souls for God's sake, I do believe that it is wise and good that sometimes you say, you know what? I fished you out there with freedom and I see some concerning trends. So I'm going to reel you back in with some restraint for your good and for a season. And if you do, if you say too much freedom and I need to pull it back, then I think you need to tell your children why, what you see in them and help them see, okay, is this a punishment? Then how long? Or is this a new standard? Then for what reasons? And I think if you help them understand that, it will help guard their hearts. Even though they may not like it at first, in the long term, they're going to see the value of your protection and desire for their good and for their their soul. Awesome. Thank you, Uh, Michael. Alex asks this. Uh, my kids are on the computer all day for virtual school. Hey, that's a that's a new reality, right? That people are spending a lot of a lot more time on computers and devices because of that. Do you have recommendations for boundaries with devices when they are, are they already spend so much time online? And I would add to that question, Michael. Are there uh, boundaries in your home as far as taking uh, phones to to bed or uh, do you have a, a place to put all the phones or is there a time limit? Any any recommendations that you would have or that you personally have in your home to place boundaries? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the question. And so from a practical um, expression in our own home, um, we do. So like I, like I mentioned earlier with Apple, Apple has a resource um, that we use called screen time. And that with our kids, we're able to, uh, again, not only identify and track where they're at in their digital experience, but we can also set those limits and boundaries. So we set a time at night. Listen, even for my 18-year-old son, we set a time and a limit where we say, okay, at 11 o'clock, the device is going to shut off. And typically when he's going up to his room and going to be there for the night, we say, hey, that's going to be the time. Now, we are very generous with him. If he says, hey, I'm working on a project, I need a little more time because us shutting it down means he's not able to get on the internet. Us shutting it down means he's not able to use certain resources that on on an academic day or even just for enjoyment, he could use other times. But for us, here's what we think. When When he or our daughters, when your children are going to be in an isolated, set aside, private time and experience, when they're going to be there, that is the most ripe 
an opportune time for their hearts to wander or for them to stumble into or across things that they may not have if they had more safeguards of protection of awareness and of um, of accountability. And so for us, that's our practical um, experience. I think for usage and things like that, as far as how much time and such, every family is different. But I would say this, um, school and academic life has however many X hours involved in it. And so when it comes to leisure and just enjoyment in the digital experience, whether it's scrolling through TikTok, making an Instagram post, whether it's gaming, whatever, whatever, um, avenue or venue that that is i think you have to watch closely like maybe you set a time hey you finish your schoolwork and you can have uh 60 minutes you can have 90 minutes total tonight to be on to enjoy those different things just to have some fun but at some point you have to be determinative to say and i would we always offer this to our kids this is not the it's not this much time once and for always it's this is what you can have for now and we'll see how you handle it. If you handle it well, if it seems to be a healthy part of your life, not dominating or enslaving, then you can continue to enjoy that much. If it goes beyond that and we start to see signs that we fished you out too far, then we're going to reel back in and maybe change the boundaries of those choices. So that would be a couple thoughts to uh, to consider that, Dan. That's great. Well, Michael, we have about eight minutes left for this last point. And if you have any more questions, now would be kind of the last time to ask those. And we'll hopefully be able to get to those a few minutes before we end at nine o'clock tonight. So, Michael, with the third point, bring it on. Great, great. And friends, hey, thank you so much for staying with us and, and being a part of this evening for, for this uh, uh, this digital event. Uh, I hope it has been some value to you. And so let's finish strong. One last thought to consider in the idea that enslavement to digital media causes us to, and here's our third thought and last, causes us to suffer the long-term effects of distraction. Enslavement to digital media tempts us to suffer the long-term effects of distraction. There's a pastor that I really, really enjoy his writing, his re, uh, his books, his sermons. His name is Tim Keller, and he pastored in New York City, as a matter of fact. And he, he was asked this question, why do most young people struggle to possess a deep and personal relationship with God in their life? And here was his answer, noise and distraction. He said, it's easier to tweet than to pray. You get it? Why is it so difficult for us to have a meaningful, clear, and focused pursuit of God? And really, sometimes, meaningful, clear, un, undistracted, focused experience in many things. Because we are allowing and engaging in areas of our lives that are a constant stream of distraction. Here's a major question about this. What is distraction? Why am I drawn to it? What does it even mean to have an undistracted life? Well, think about this. The average college student, okay, statistics tell us that the average college student misses 20% of the content in the classroom because of their distraction to some type of digital device. They find some type of side rail and they're missing 20%, one-fifth of their content of their that they're being taught. Research continually proves this reality. The more addicted someone is to their phone or digital world or experience, the more likely they are to suffer from these things. Depression, and you knew it, didn't you? 
anxiety. And the less they're able to concentrate on work, and oftentimes they can't sleep. So think about that. The more we engross ourselves in digital experience, as opposed to having uh, limitations, having reasonableness, not being enslaved, having moderation in this area of our life, what happens? More depression, more anxiety, less concentration at work and other places, less ability to sleep. They, that ain't good. And you know what? Each one of us almost could have said that, couldn't we? You could have, you could have seen that coming. The more distracted we are digitally, the less we think about things that really matter. Listen, it, the last generation before us, it was television. The generation before that, it was radio. There's always something to draw our attention and distract us, to, to, to distract us from what may be truly valuable and meaningful. Important thoughts such as the well-being of other people, significant life goals, pursuits of more important things like just like this, thinking about eternity, thinking about my soul, thinking about there is an expiration uh, time for my life on this earth, and then what? Thinking about the brevity of life. These are things that are oftentimes considered in silence and in solitude. These are things that are considered when we remove distractions and we focus on what truly, truly matters. Oftentimes, our digital experience tempts us to have a life of distraction. Um, Ecclesiastes, this is a Bible verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the great king of Israel, Solomon, who God gave tremendous wisdom to. He actually gave him as a specific gift that Solomon asked for. God, give me wisdom, and, and God gave it to him. Here's what Solomon said. He said that he, meaning God, God has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This simple verse means this. God has placed it into our conscious thought. Our, the deepest part of our thinking and feelings knows and understands that there is an eternity, that beyond our life, when we pass from this life into another, we pass into eternity. And that eternity has been set up and prepared and purposed by God. And when we live a life of noise and distraction, our digital experience tempts us to be so distracted when we live a life of noise and distraction, we never take time to think about serious, important, and significant matters. How do we serve other people? How do we love our community? How do we do good in the world? How do we, how do we flourish in our own lives, in the lives of other people, in our families and loved ones? It's, it's the case in the truth, like every area of our life. Our digital experience, it can and it must be guided by convictions, not just filters, not just rules, not just limitations, but teach and build convictions. Think about the important experiences and the important outcomes of what's happening in our digital experience experiences. Share those with your children. Consider them your own self. This can, this can definitely be guided by convictions and a view of God and ourselves that can help us navigate these decisions every single day. We have an opportunity, I believe, to equip and train our children in this area of digital media, and we so need God's help to do it. And I hope that these are a couple of thoughts tonight that would give you some, some, some food for thought, some, maybe some new goals, maybe some serious considerations that you can engage your own heart with. Maybe you're 
husband or wife or your spouse or your closest family members or your children, but maybe these can be used, I hope, for great good in your life as we consider the effects of digital media. Dan, what's some final thoughts as we wrap up tonight? Man, thank you so much, Michael, and thank you for viewing all of you who are on here. I do want to say that this workshop and the workshop before Parenting in Challenging Times will both be on RVR's website uh, in the upcoming weeks. So if you'd like to look back on this and if you just uh, joined in, I know someone just asked a question about uh, they feel like they're nagging their kids about, uh, about boundaries on devices, but their kids see them on devices all the time because of work feels hypocritical. You know, we answered a similar question to that earlier uh, in this workshop. So I would encourage you, uh, if you didn't catch all of this, they will be available and I would encourage you to go back. Uh, we are, we did have to wrap up here, but I, I do have a, um, maybe maybe one, maybe two questions, Mike, if you can stick around. But uh, I know that last point was so challenging and, and to be driven by convictions uh, is so much more important than to be uh, controlled by filters. However, <laughs> uh, do you have any recommendations, the question is, on parental filters and things like that, as they could be a helpful tool while you're teaching those convictions? <clears throat> and yeah, I would affirm your last statement there. Good question. And Dan, your last statement is true. While you're teaching those convictions, safeguards are a part of building convictions so that there's not stumbling or our kids falling into dangers. And that's why I mentioned earlier in this today, custodio, I think, is a helpful filter. Q-U-O-S-T-O-D-I-O -O -O is a helpful resource. Um, NetNanny is a common and really helpful resource for parents of children. I mentioned that even Apple products, they have their own that we utilize as a family and as parents that that uh, we often, like I said, my wife often uses the screen time uh, resource that Apple uses. And perhaps other, again, I'm not a, a user of uh, Galaxy devices or Samsung, Samsung, but they may have their own resource as well. But I think that some of those are, are, are a few of the recommended and there are others out there. There are some Christian resources and organizations that would give you uh, even specific ways to, to filter and guard. And so I do agree, along with the uh, building convictions and helping right thinking would be the value of uh, filters and safeguards like that. So yeah. Awesome, great. Thank you so much for that, Michael. We've got um, several, several more questions to get to, but we're going to have to uh, to wrap it up tonight as we uh, are ending this at nine o'clock. But I believe that all of the content here will answer so many of these questions that are still coming in. So um, please go back and, and check this out on our website. As I said, it'll be on River Valley Ranch's website uh, very, very soon. You know, this time is for uh, supporting you. And I feel, I, I hope that you feel supported in uh, this task of parenting tonight. We're um, honored that you would allow us to come into your house tonight through a device and uh, and give insight and perspective. And Michael, you've done that tonight. And we just thank you. Thank you so much for your, your heart and your um, generosity in giving of your time to support RVR families this way. So all of you RVR families out there who, who love RVR, we love you too. And we hope you feel supported and we hope you have a great night. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. 
discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR, and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.